Hello and welcome back to the Knife's Edge podcast. I am your host, Sophia Nygaard, and we are learning together how to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and walk in his love on the knife's edge of our journey with him. And today we're going to look at the knife's edge of faith, the essential ingredient in our salvation journey. I love what Paul says in Romans 1.17. He said, the gospel of righteousness is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That first to last really gives me the picture of climbing our mountain by faith on the knife's edge. We begin our journey by faith and we get to the end of our journey by faith and we will never summit without faith. So how does the Bible define faith? In Hebrews 11.1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I'm living or climbing by faith, I'm climbing by the evidence of things I don't see, or the realization, as the New King James Version notes under substance, of things I don't see. So I had to ask, how do I realize the things that I don't see? And what is the thing that I'm hoping for that I can't see? And as I was trying to picture this, the Lord brought to mind the beginning of John 14, where Jesus is comforting his disciples. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And that's John 14, 1 through 3. And this gives me the picture, you know, that many saints have had throughout the ages of coming home. And so I'm taking this long journey. I'm going up this steep mountain climb of faith to go home, to be with my family, the Father, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and my brothers and sisters in faith. And this is the picture I see Jesus painting. He says, have faith in me, believing in what I'm saying, though you can't see it yet. He says, I'm preparing a place for you in my father's house. And you know it's true because I said so. He's saying, this is how you realize what you can't see. Take me at my word. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. He says, trust me completely. And in fact, the Oxford Dictionary defines faith as just that, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So to live by faith is to live each day with the hope of heaven, trusting Jesus step by step, knowing this isn't my permanent home, but Jesus will lead me there. And along the way, everything he says is true and it will come to pass because there are many promises he makes our journey as well that he'll never leave us or forsake us along the way he'll give us rest he'll satisfy us completely he'll provide for us protect us so my hope that all those things will come to pass depends on jesus and my hope of reaching the place he's prepared for me also depends on him so really my hope is in him person of jesus who i can't see So to climb by faith is to keep my home firmly set on him. Keep believing everything he's told me the whole way up the mountain. 
Essentially, I put my life in his hands. And that's really what we're doing when we give our lives to Jesus. And then every step we take further and further up the mountain, we're demonstrating that faith. We are giving evidence to the watching world that there is a substance to what we hope for. Concept is simple, sure, but living it out is really hard. And I've learned this lesson so many times in my journey, and you probably have too. In order to make time to write and take care of my family, over five years ago, I had to quit my 15-year career in the mortgage industry. And God prepared me for this, and he slowly took things away that were holding me there. And in our climbing illustration, it would be like him blocking other routes, you know. So I'm like, oh, we're going this way, right? He's like, nope, not that way, not that way. And it's very loving and kind of him to do that for me. And I, I didn't get confused, you know. I knew he was leading me a particular way. But the story started a few years back, probably seven or eight years ago, and when I was really struggling with my job and with the weight of it and all my responsibilities at home. And I talked with my husband about quitting my job. And I didn't do it by faith. I didn't do it at God's prompting. I did it because I was desperate and I just felt that something had to give. And so I figured, well, my load is too heavy and God must agree with me about this. So I'm going to go ahead and try to quit my job. And my husband said no. He wasn't comfortable with that mood. So I had to really accept that as a door that God shut. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I was being presumptuous. I figured my load was so heavy and this must be the way to handle it because it was the only way that I saw. And so I just went ahead and ran ahead of God and tried to take things into my own hands. And years later, before I heard God's call to quit, I was suffering in my job for months not only did he take things away, I relied on in my career, but everything I tried to build fell down. And I was so cautious of falling into the ditch of presumption again and taking things into my own hands and getting ahead of him, I really became fearful of stepping out. I like swung the other way. And so it took months for me to see what God was doing and that it was him. And he really was calling me to step out. And there's an important lesson in there too that I've learned also many times along the way. And that is sometimes we'll have this sense of where God is leading us, but our timing can be off. We can get ahead or behind of God. And that's kind of part of walking by faith. And it's part of obedience too. When we look at obedience, we'll get into that more. But I was really sensing that I was going in the direction of quitting that career, but I was just ahead of his timing. And that's where I got presumptuous. But when the time came, I was a little fearful. And finally, I recognize what he was doing and stepped out but even then there were so many times where I was doubtful and I kept coming back to him and saying are you sure this is the way it's like being on the mountain and he's like okay blocked all the other routes we're going this way and I say okay Jesus I'm going and the storm whips up and it's like uh are you sure this is the way Lord <laughs> and I kept asking him and in his kindness and patience he was like it's okay Sophia I've got this I know I know it's stormy, I know it's hard, I know it's steep, but, you know, just keep following me. I'm faithful, you know. And so it just really hit home with me that even when I waver, he does not. You know, he's so steady. He's my rock. And he's the one who teaches us how to be faithful because he is faithfulness. 
And it reminded me and really helped me to experience uh, one of my favorite verses, which is Hebrews 10.23. And it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, for he who promised is faithful. And, you know, our brother in the faith and family of God, the Apostle Peter, was tested the same way I was. As Jesus' disciple, he was part of the closest circle. He was the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew 16. And he was with Jesus when Jesus was transfigured on top of the mountain with Moses and Elijah. And he had some really incredible experiences with Jesus. And I really felt like Peter has really bold and courageous faith. You know, I remember when Jesus came out to them on the water, when the disciples were in the boat, it was Peter who was like, Lord, if that's you, then, you know, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus did. And it was just incredible the way that he went out. But then just like me, when I stepped out from my work, um, the wind and the waves came up and Peter was like, ah, I'm sinking, Lord, save me. And thankfully, Jesus and his faithfulness, he reached out and said, yeah, you have little faith, Peter. I'm saving you. But why did you doubt? And I think that that really sets the scene for the test of faith and the journey of faith that Peter went on. Because in John 18, we just have this beautiful and poignant journey of what Peter went through in his faith journey. And he demonstrated great faith walking on the water as no one else did, but he also struggled with doubt. And so he was tested in his faith many times. So in John 18, Jesus and Peter and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus had just been praying. And then this detachment of soldiers comes, and Jesus knew it was going to happen. And so he went out and talked to them, and they asked for him, and he told them, multiple times who he was, and uh, they actually fell back at the power of his name. And he said, you know, I told you who I am, and if you're looking for me, let these men go. And this happened so that the word he had spoken would be fulfilled. That, and he said, I had not lost anyone that you gave me, Father. But then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And this happened in John 18, 4 through 11. So in this test of faith, Peter presumed, much like me with my work, he must do something, like he must intervene. And in fact, the Oxford Dictionary defines presume this way, to suppose that something is the case on the basis of probability, or to be audacious enough to do something. And Peter's actions fit both definitions. He supposed his Lord is in danger. He took the situation into his own hands. But with one sentence, Jesus made clear not only were his actions uh, awry, but also what was happening was in a sense right because it was the Father's will. So in other words, the scene that Peter saw before him was not what he had supposed it to be. So it's the same thing for us in so many situations. What we see before us is not always as we suppose it to be. And so for this ditch, and we're falling into the presumption, I hear the Lord exhorting us with verses that he exhorts me with so many times in so many different ways and layers, and that is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So when I stepped off my path and I was leaning on my own understanding and my work, Jesus had to bring me back and submit to him again and trust in him again and not myself and not to make my own path. And he did the same thing with Peter. He corrected him in his love. And in Luke twenty two fifty one, we also read that he healed the servants here. So he made everything right again. And that's such a wonderful thing we have in our Lord. He's a redeemer. He's a, the restorer and a healer. And he makes things right when we have stepped off the path. So praise Jesus for that. <laughs> and then a little while later in John 18, we encounter Peter again. And this is after Jesus had been arrest arrested. And he and John were following Jesus. And John was known to the high priest, so he went in with Jesus to the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside. And so John asked to have Peter brought in, and so the servant girl came back, and she said, aren't you one of the man's disciples too? Are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. And it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. And so he was there standing himself himself warming as well and then those who were with him asked him later you aren't one of the disciples too are you and he denied it saying i'm not and one of the high priest servant a relative of the man whose ear peter had cut off challenged him and said didn't i see you with him in the garden and again peter denied it and at that moment a rooster began to crow and this happened in john 18 15 through 18 and 25 through 27 and this time, it was Peter's fear that kept him from answering in faith. His fear of the same fate, perhaps, as his Lord, of being taken away and also, you know, arrested, tortured, crucified. And this time, Jesus wasn't there to correct him. And so, Peter ended up fleeing. He wasn't there at the cross. We know from John 19, 25 through 27, that it was just John and the women who followed Jesus. But... Praise God, this is not where the story ends. So after Jesus had died on the cross and he had been resurrected, he appeared to the disciples multiple times, which is amazing to think about in itself. And the third time in John 21, we find Peter once again jumping out of the boat at the sight of his Lord. So I also see his radical love for Jesus, just like he couldn't keep away from him. It's like, oh, I see him on the shore. I have to swim out to meet him. And so he got to the shore, the disciples followed, and they dragged in this huge net of fish that Jesus had helped them to catch. And then they were eating breakfast, and Jesus turned to Peter and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, once again, follow me. So John 21, 15 through 19. 
that follow me, you know, you see every time Jesus restores us, corrects us, pulls us back up onto the knife's edge of faith, it's the same thing. Just like he was saying to me, I've got this, follow me, just follow me. And he was telling Peter, you are going to die a death like mine, actually. Um, what you were afraid of is going to come true, but it's okay. You have what you need. You have your love of me, and you know I love you. And that's what's going to sustain you and empower you to walk in faith all the way to the end, Peter. And it was his love that restored Peter. And it was a perfect enactment, I think, of First John 4.18 that there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I've seen your fear, Peter, and I'm going to come with my love and cast that out and continue to cast that out so you can keep walking by faith. And it was his love that um, enabled Peter to finish his race uh, with his own upside down crucifixion and uh, do everything that Jesus had called him to do along the way, which you see Jesus alluding to in the whole feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He's saying, Peter, be the person that I have told you you are. I've said you're my little rock. I've said you are going to be a founder of my church and you are going to feed my sheep and do what you're called to do. Have faith. You have my love. I will be with you even to the end of the age, right? You don't have to be afraid. And he does that with each one of us. And I just love that picture. It's so beautiful. Love that passage in John 21. And then later in Acts, I love all the stories about Peter's life. Uh, just picked this one out from Acts 2 in the beginning here when he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached his first sermon. This was such an act of faith. There he is, thousands of people. They think, you know, the disciples are drunk or something. <laughs> Never seen anything like this with the Holy Spirit being poured out. And Peter stood up just full of faith and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, as Paul tells us in Romans 5. So, what a perfect picture. And he said, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And that was in Acts 2, 38 through 40. And this act of faith, free of fear, free of presumption, paved the way for the Lord to add 3,000 people to the early church that day. This was for Peter as it is for day, us today, a result of God's love filling his heart through that restoration in love, through casting out fear, through the Holy Spirit coming and filling him and him being delivered continually, you know, of his own ways, his fear, his doubt, and being led forward in faith to the very end. So what an amazing story. And I just pray for all of us today. Jesus, that you would come just like you did with Peter, have your way in our hearts. Show us the areas where we are leaning on our own strength instead of yours and walking in the ditch of presumption and show us the areas where we are afraid and walking in the ditch of fear and let your perfect love overcome 
all of our crooked ways, cast out all of our fears, that we may be made more and more complete in you, Jesus, and walk on the knife's edge of faith. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. See you all soon.